Turn, if you would, to the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. And yes, we are going to finish Matthew this year. I hope. I did say that last year, didn't I? Well, I trust you had a good holiday. Three weeks ago, we drove up to Colorado Springs for my grandson's first birthday, and I had a good time up there, and then he came down for the week of Christmas, and Teresa is sitting at the airport right now to fly up there for the week, so she's getting her fill of grandbabying. And then my daughter and I have been having play practice every night over the holidays, so we're exhausted. Our play did open on Friday, so if you want to come see another play, come talk to me. Hmm? Newsies. It's about uh, the newspaper boys going on strike. It's great. Lots of singing, lots of dancing. My daughter is a newsie. She's a boy. Oh, wait. There's four of them that are girls. Anyway, but... Huh? I do everything. Um... I'm the mayor, I walk across the street, the stage and buy a newspaper, and at one point I am a goon and I get to beat up kids. What, what, what could be better, right? The lady who did the costume says, but you don't look like a goon. You look like everyone's nice grandfather. What can I say? It is at Artisan Theater in Hearst. So, but you need to come talk to me because I don't do all the shows. So, several weeks ago, four to be exact, we started chapter 23. In the previous two chapters, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. You know where all this is headed. He has come into Jerusalem, and we had a chapter of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes coming to him and trying to trap him. They would ask him questions that they didn't think that he would be able to answer, and he answered them all. And then finally in chapter 23, it's like he's had enough of them, okay? The crowd's out here, he's been talking to the Pharisees, and then he turns to the crowd and he really lets them have it. After all this back and forth that we've been doing through the whole book of Matthew, between Jesus and the Pharisees, he finally lets them have it. And he calls them, well, we'll see in today's lesson, a brood of vipers, and he has a series of statements in this chapter that all begin, Woe to you! Woe to you, Pharisees, you hypocrites! And four weeks ago, we made it halfway through this list, and today we're going to finish the list, we hope. Woe is basically the opposite of blessed. Blessed is God has his favor upon you, and woe means you're in deep trouble. Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites. We had a brief discussion about what it meant to be a hypocrite. The fact that we as Christians sin doesn't of necessity make us hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask. It's like in the play when I'm playing a part that's not really me. And we do that in real life when we put on a mask so people can't see the real us. We also had a brief discussion, if you remember, about what we want to get out of this chapter. The easy thing to get out of this chapter is to get a list of things that other people are doing wrong. 
I know a person just like this. Zap. And we do know people like this. But Jesus had warned the disciples, beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees. Because it takes just a little bit of yeast worked into the dough to permeate the whole thing. And all of us, the disciples, us today, need to be aware of the fact that a little bit bit of these attitudes in our own lives can produce negative consequences. So, quickly, going through the ones that we talked about last week, well, let's just start in verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you to do. They are preaching the right stuff. They are preaching the Word of God. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. They preach, but do not practice. That's the definition of a hypocrite. They're telling you this is how you ought to live your life because this is what God told us to do, and then they go do something else. They do their acts of righteousness, as we talked about during the Sermon on the Mount. They do their acts of righteousness to be seen by men. Jumping down to verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's places. In people's faces, you are putting up barriers to, have, to allow people to come have a right relationship to God. You go, how can that be? Well, when I sit here and in my legalism construct a form of religion that's impossible for the average person to do, then I am creating a barrier. Now, it's interesting because... Then in a few verses, he says, woe to you because you go looking for converts. Well, if you're keeping them out, but you're looking for them, aren't those contradictory? No. I'm keeping the masses out, but when I find somebody who has that legalistic bent to them, woo, I let them in, and I train them, and I make them worse than me. That's what we do. We look for people who will be just like us. So, woe to you, verse uh, 16, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. He has a long discussion about the fact that they had created this hierarchy of oaths. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I might do it. If I swear by the temple... I might do it a little bit more. But if I swear by the gold in the temple, then I'm going to do it. And once again, do you remember the passage in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to construct these elaborate oaths if your intention is to do what you say you're going to do. You don't have to do that. So, picking up in verse 23 with today's lesson. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. What is he talking about? Well, the Pharisees were very strict and very conscientious about fulfilling the law. The law said you're supposed to tithe. 
A tithe is a tenth of everything that you've earned. Now, we are not going to have a discussion today about tithing, whether it applies today or not. We're not even going to talk about it in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, you gave a tent for this, and then every couple of years, you gave another amount of money to support the temple, the all the religious trappings and stuff. So there were a variety of different things. But the Pharisees were very clear, I've got to tithe to be a good Pharisee. Well, this Pharisee, you know, Probably wasn't a farmer, may have been, but probably wasn't. But he might have a little pot where he keeps his spices, the plants that he's growing to add flavor to his food. When I was a child, we had a little mint plant out in a flower box outside. And for some reason, we really thought it was cool, we'd run out there at dinner time and pull off one leaf and come and drop it in our iced tea. We just thought that was the coolest thing. We probably should have washed it off, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> so this Pharisee has this little planter that he's growing these spices in. Now, you look at that mint plant, and it's got 10 leaves on it. Now, if it's got 10 leaves on it, how many do you have to give to God? Well... A tenth. So you pull off one leaf, and I don't know what he does with it. You put it in an envelope, and you take it to the priest, and you say, here, here's my offering. And the priest looks at it and goes, oh, thanks. But you know what? That Pharisee could then say, I am very strict. I am following the law exactly. So as he would pull off those leaves, one, two, three, up to ten, takes one, off he goes. And that's what he's doing because that's what God is telling him to do. So he thinks. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but there's a problem. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done Without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is what we call prophetic language. You get your tea strainer, okay? And there's a gnat in your drink. Oh. So you pour it through this tea strainer, and all the tea goes through, and what's left in the strainer? The gnat. You caught the gnat. And while you were busy catching the gnat, a camel sneaks into your cup. The camel would probably have been the largest animal that they were intimately familiar with. It is possible they could have seen an elephant, but I doubt it. The camel is a huge creature. This is just weird. How did the camel get through the strainer? Well, you know he's not talking about gnats and camels, right? He's talking about our natural tendency to look at small details and go, by golly, I'm going to follow the letter of the law in this area, and I'm going to do it in such a way that I can look down on you because you don't. And while I'm worrying about that gnat, 
the camel has snuck into my teacup because we've neglected the larger, more important issues. And he actually tells us what those are right here. You have neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. What is justice? Giving everyone their due. If I owe you a dollar, I pay you a dollar. If I owe you allegiance, I give you allegiance. If I owe you some thing, I give you that thing. God is a big fan of justice. The second one is mercy. Sometimes we in our own minds begin to think that mercy and justice are at odds with each other. Okay, I can show mercy or I can have justice. We do that, rightfully so, because God has not treated us with justice. He has treated us with grace and mercy. Why? We broke the law. According to the law, what do we, out of justice, deserve? Death. For the wages of sin is death. Having violated the law of a holy God, we deserve justice. But instead, we receive grace and mercy. Why do we need to demonstrate mercy? Because while we should and ought to be just in our dealings with others, we are in fact a race of fallen human beings. And we're going to mess up. Every one of you, every day, is going to mess up. And when we do mess up, no, when someone we know messes up, <laughs> what are we going to do? Well, I know what I'm going to do. I demand justice. And God is sitting there thinking, wait a minute. I bestowed a little bit of grace and mercy on you. Why don't you treat that person with the grace that I have shown you? They are not contradictory to each other. We are to seek justice. Justice means we do not oppress the weak and the poor. Justice says we do what we have to do. Justice says, but we live in a world of weak and fallen creatures. And we need to demonstrate mercy to each other on a daily basis. Why? Because we need it too. But why do we really do it? Because God gave it to us first. You remember several chapters ago, right? The man owed the master a bazillion dollars. I mean, more money than he could ever pay in his lifetime. And the master says, okay, justice, off to prison with you. And he begged for mercy, and the master showed him mercy. Go, we'll forget the debt. He goes out, and a fellow servant owes him a couple of bucks. Justice, I want my money. And he throws the man into jail. And the master finds out about it. And the master says, I forgave your bazillion dollar debt. And you were not willing 
to forgive your fellow servant a couple of bucks? That's the way we work today, though, right? I demand justice, but I want mercy. We are called to demonstrate God's grace and mercy to those around us. And trust me, we all need it. We all need it every day. Faithfulness, the third one. What does faithfulness mean? It means keeping your covenant relationships. They were good Jewish people. God had called them to follow Him. He established a covenant with Abraham, and they were not being faithful to that covenant. You remember when we worked through the book of Exodus? Over and over again, a difficulty would come, and oh well, the Jewish nation would go off chasing something else. Some idol, some thing. They were not being faithful. In fact, it gets to the point where Moses tells them, God didn't choose you because you were great and wonderful. In fact, you stink. Metaphorically. Guess what? God didn't choose us because we're great and wonderful. We are the object of his mercy, but he has called us to be faithful to the calling that he has made to us. What does it mean? It means that we study the scripture. When the scripture says we need to show mercy, we show mercy. We are faithful. Now, I'm sitting here with my little potted plant, with my mint, and I'm counting the leaves, and I'm pulling one off, and I'm making sure that I put it in an envelope and I take it to church. Put that in the offering plate. See what happens. But you know, Jesus doesn't really criticize them for doing that. He says, okay, you followed the law as you understood it. The criticism was, while I'm counting mint leaves, I'm ignoring the poor and needy in my society. When I'm counting my mint leaves, I am not showing mercy to those people in my circle who need it. I am not being faithful in my relationships. Moses, what did it say at the very beginning? You sit on the seat of Moses. Moses was leading the people. What are the Pharisees doing? They're sitting there judging the people and keeping them away from the kingdom. And he says, stop that. Don't do it. You blind guides. Now, this is real easy, okay? What is a guide? A guide is someone who takes you somewhere and shows you what you need to see. I've told you this story before. Years, years ago, my wife and I went to uh, Germany. And we went to Neuschwanstein, which is the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Castle, if you've ever seen the movie. Okay, we were kind of there in the off-season, and there were no English tours. Well, there was a guide, a German guide, and he says, I'm going to give a German tour, y'all come along, and then I'll translate it to y'all too. Okay, we're great. So we enter the first room, and he starts discussing it in German. 
I mean, he goes on and on in German. And then he turns to us and says, bedroom. <laughs> and we go to the next room. I know German is a long-winded language, but I don't think he was just telling them bedroom. He was the guide, and he was helping these people, and he was kind of helping us. But what if you're going on an adventure, and you've got a guide, and you show up, and the guide is blind? You go, wait a minute. I don't have great confidence in your ability to guide me through the dangers of this whatever adventure we're going on. What does he call them? Blind guides. We, we are called to help guide people to a proper understanding of God, of our position apart from God, of our need for a relationship with God. We may do it in this environment. We may be doing it with children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We need to be guides who have our spiritual eyes open so we can properly lead people where they need to go. And he turns to them and he says, you're just a blind guide. I heard a singer one time who was blind and he talked about the fact that one night he was out with some buddies and he had to drive home because he was the only sober one. <laughs> I won't go there. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Okay, imagine, I've got a bowl that I'm going to eat out of on a regular basis. Now, most of the day, this bowl is going to be sitting on the shelf. So I take this bowl and I really clean the outside of it. So I can put it up on the shelf so it looks good sitting on the shelf. But there will come a time when I want to bring the bowl down and I want to actually eat something out of it. And I look at the inside of it and it's just filthy. Whatever was eaten out of it the last time is still in it. And it's been a long time. It's kind of green and growing stuff. But you know what? Sitting on the shelf, that bowl looked really good. But you know what? That's not what is really important about a bowl. What's really important about a bowl is what the inside of it looks like because that's where the food's going to go. What is he telling them? I don't think he's talking about washing dishes here. He's talking about the fact that they themselves are working very hard to look good on the outside, but inside what does it say? Inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. What is greed? That one's the easy one. I want more. Well, how much more? More. Well, how more? 
We had a discussion about this when we talked about Jesus cleansing the temple. The people would come to the temple and they had to offer a sacrifice. Well, they didn't bring an animal because they may have come a long way, but they brought cash. But they brought Roman cash. And you can't buy a sacrificial animal with Roman cash. So you convert Roman cash to temple cash, and we make a killing in the transfer of that money. And then I buy an animal with that temple cash, and I make a killing with that transaction so that I can offer a sacrifice. I'm just doing it out of greed. I'm not doing it to help the people. What would I have done if I were doing it to help the people? You need an animal? Here, take this one. You need another one? Take this one. The scriptures has, have a lot to say about ministers of the gospel, in particular, who are in it for the money. Now, several of you have been ministers, and I believe you can safely say you weren't in it for the money because you didn't make any of it. But there are those that do. And they become very interested in it. Greed is the desire for more, 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 dot, dot, dot. It's kind of the opposite of contentment. Paul says, I've learned to have a lot of stuff. And I've learned to have nothing. And I've learned to be content. The Pharisees were not content. This one is probably one that's true of a lot of us. Good 21st century Americans, we want more. And you know what? If God blesses you with more, that's fine. But when we begin to change our relationship with God in order to get more, then more becomes too much. We need to learn contentment instead of striving for the more that we can never obtain. <sighs> Greed and self-indulgence. What is self-indulgence? Well, we talk about it a lot when we talk about food, okay? Just one more piece of pie. Just one more whatever it is. Just a little bit more Comfort. I've quoted in here before, Francis Schaeffer used to say that Americans believed in two things, personal peace and affluence. Personal peace is leave me alone, and affluence is enough stuff that I can be happy. And how much is enough stuff? More. Self-indulgence is that need to always have more. I'm going to indulge myself in a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. Why? Because I'm me. And I am the center of the universe, right? No. We are told, from the physical standpoint, to work our bodies so that it is not our master. If I go into every situation going, how can I get more? That's greed. How can I get more pleasure? 
that self-indulgence out of this situation, pretty soon I'm not worried about the will of God. I'm worried about something else, me. And we reach a point where that begins to color every relationship that we have. What's the solution to self-indulgence? Give stuff away. That's one solution. Don't look at your own needs. Look at the needs of the other. (sighs) For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also will be clean. We're not talking about doing dishes. But as a general rule, as a general rule, when you are washing dishes, what's the dirty part of the dish? The inside. And as a general rule, if you do take your sponge and wash the inside of the dish, by the time you're done, the outside's probably going to be clean. But that's washing dishes. What he's telling us is that when we deal with the inner issues in our lives, the outside will take care of itself. Why? Because our problems are usually heart issues. Remember the heart, the mind, the will, and the emotions? What is it that you think about? What is it that you choose? What is it that you feel affection toward. Those are usually the issues. How do we deal with the heart issues? We don't do it by taking a bath. We don't do it by washing dishes. We do it by studying God's Word, approaching God, and asking God through the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what in our inner life is causing the issues in the outer life. That's where we need to start. That's what he tells them. We can spend all day long getting clean on the outside. And it won't do any good. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Okay, you go down the street that way, a couple of miles, and you'll hit the cemetery. Now, most people are buried in the ground with a little thing, but there are some large structures, very ornate. They're tombs. And you know what? People wash the outside of them. They keep the outside of them clean. They make sure they look good when people drive by. But what's inside of it? Death. Death. There's bones and there's the remains of dead people. This morning, I get up and I put on my coat. I look pretty good. 
I want you to think that I look pretty good. I walk out and I want people to know that I'm pretty good. And I put on this veneer of righteousness so that I can walk through this church and everybody will think, ah, he's pretty good. I do just enough good deeds so that people see that I'm doing it. Remember? We keep going back to the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount is kind of the antidote to this chapter. But he says, do your acts of righteousness in secret. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, don't make a big deal about it in public. When you fast, put on a happy face so people don't know. But what's the advantage of that? I'm a good Pharisee. I want you to know that I'm really suffering because I fasted this week. Oh, it was so hard. Maybe I'll put a little white powder on my face so I really look like I'm struggling. I'm going to give a hundred bucks to a good cause. You know what? I think I'll put my name in the paper so people know that I gave a hundred bucks to a good cause. We wouldn't do that, would we? My mother says in her church, one of her churches when she was growing up, they'd pass the offering plate and the usher would go, Mr. Jones just gave $50 to encourage people. But we wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't do our acts of righteousness to be seen by others, no. Now, when we talked about that passage, remember we said there are some acts of righteousness that by their very nature are public events. But if that's the extent of your acts of righteousness, you're in deep trouble. If the only time you pray is when you stand up in front of a group and lead a prayer, there's a problem. What does it say? Outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within you are filled with hypocrisy. We've had lots of discussions about hypocrisy. But what's the second one? And lawlessness. Now, if you're a Pharisee, you keep the law. If nothing else, you keep the law. And he calls them he tells them that you're full of lawlessness. Why would he say that? Because all the outward cleaning, the facade, all of that in the world is not going to give you a right relationship with God, ever. Your inner being is rebelling against God. I know what God told me to do. They knew the law. What does it say? Seek mercy. Well, I'm not interested in that. So while they were putting on the facade of looking like good Christians, I mean Pharisees, Inwardly, they were at war with God. That's what they were full of. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Go back to the Old Testament. We'll just start with that. There were these people that were called prophets. God had spoken to them. God had told them to go to the people and give the message. They were prophets. If you look at the true prophets in the Old Testament, it is not the easiest life in the world. They get beaten. They get run out of town. They get thrown into wells. They get killed. They get, okay, it's not the easiest job description to have. Now, there were false prophets who were making their living being a prophet. Oh, sure, God said this. God said for you to do whatever you wanted to do, king. Back to the self-indulgence and greed, but we won't go there. The prophets were doing the will of God. They were speaking the word of God. And guess what? Most people don't like it. They don't. So they were killed. They were killed. They were run out of town. And the Pharisees are sitting there going, you know, if I had been around back then, I wouldn't have killed the prophets. I would have held them in high esteem because I am a great believer in whatever it is God's doing. But guess what? I'll give you a foreshadow of the next several verses. They're going to end up killing Jesus. Why? Because they don't like what he's saying. I can sit here and say, oh, I never would have acted like that if John the Baptist had walked in here and told me I was a brood of vipers. Yes, you would. We don't like people telling us that we're not right with God, with each other, with whatever. We don't like it. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets, Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Let's just get to the bottom line. The whole book of Matthew, Pharisees, Jesus, bang, bang, Jesus leaves, bang, bang. I mean, and he finally just tells them, how are you not? going to go to hell. Now, I know what the answer to that question is, though. How do they not go to hell? The same way that any of us don't go to hell. By accepting the grace and mercy that God has bestowed upon us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what it's going to take. And guess what? They are too hard-hearted to ever accept that message. You brood of vipers! We did have a brief discussion several weeks ago that I'm not sure I would recommend this style for us in our everyday relationships. Unless God has specifically called you to be a prophet, don't go calling people a brood of vipers. But when the Son of God enters into this world, the Son of God can look at you and know your heart. And if he says you're a brood of vipers, you're a brood of vipers. And he says, 
Just be done with it. Stop the facade. I know what you're going to do. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men. Notice what he says. He didn't say God sent. I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth for the blood of righteousness. Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. When we finish the book of Matthew, we're going to go to the book of Galatians. Who wrote the book of Galatians? Paul. What was Paul's name originally? Saul. What was Saul originally? A Pharisee. What did Saul the Pharisee do? He hunted down Christians. Why? Because they were messing with our religion. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to send you prophets. I'm going to send you people who share the word of God, and you are going to kill them. Don't act like you're doing the will of God. You're not. This is really harsh language. Why is he telling them? He's telling them because he's trying to beat them over the head that they need to repent. Now, it is interesting. He never tells the Pharisees to repent directly in this passage that I know of. But you know, it's like Jonah going to Nineveh. Jonah didn't really tell them to repent. He says, you're going to die. And guess what happened? They repented. I do believe in the grace and mercy of God. And I do believe that Jesus, when talking to these Pharisees, wants them to repent. But he knows they're not going to do it. Why? Because unlike you and me, he can see their heart. He can see the hardness of their heart. Some did. Of the Pharisees? I don't know. We know at least one did. But God had to zap him. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in the case of Nineveh, it was just, oh yeah, yeah, but in the case of Nineveh, it was pretty basic of the survival of the city, okay? At that point in time, the city was not zapped. Now, later, they returned to their evil ways, but yeah, yeah, they were responding to the word that God had given them at that point in time. That's a true statement. Jesus finishes this, and to me, you know, I, I try to envision this. I've been in too many plays, okay? And I, I, I kind of try to picture what he's doing. It's like, here's the Pharisees, and here's the people, and here is 
the temple behind him and he's talking to them and he's telling them that these are a brood of vipers. He's letting them know. And it's like he just gets to the end and he just says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. How often would I, what did it just say? I, hmm, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Now, we've had several discussions in this book. We don't use this to zap the Jews. We use this to understand how humanity responds to God and how God responds to humanity. How often would I, God, have just put my arms around you and protected you and watched over you and met your needs, but you were unwilling? Where does the blame lie? With God? No with us who have unwilling hearts. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We are getting real close to the crucifixion. It's like he just told the Pharisees, go do whatever it is you're going to do. And they're going to go get the Sadducees who hate Jesus too. And they're going to go get the Romans. And it's all going to work out. You know the story. We talk about it every Easter. But in the sadness of his heart, Jesus says, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Adam and Eve in the garden and God walked with them and talked with them until sin entered the world and that relationship was broken. And from the beginning of history, God has been drawing people back to him. And the problem is not God drawing, the problem is us not being willing. And it's fascinating. It is fascinating. You look at the gospel message, the free gift of grace and mercy bestowed upon us. And you go, why doesn't everybody just rejoice in that? Why can't the most hardened sinner look at that and go, that's really cool? But they don't. Because sin blinds us. Sin blinds us and it turns us into hypocrites where we want to look good on the outside, but we want our greed, we want our self-indulgence. I want! What did Satan tell Eve? Eat of that fruit and you will be like God's, knowing right and wrong. And from that day, We want to be the God of the universe. We live in rebellion toward God. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
wants to gather us like a hen gathers her brood, if only we are willing. Your house is left desolate. I'm going to come. I'm going to come back. They're going to kill me. I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to go home, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, when I come back, you're going to be singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we're going to enter chapter 24 next week, and that's where we're going to start discussing that subject. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help each of us to understand the leaven of the Pharisees that pervades all of us. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us strength, mercy, and guidance through the Holy Spirit to deal with the inside of the cup. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.